Welcome to Lumpen Week in Review, the show that covers the past week of news, happenings, and programs presented on Lumpen Radio. This week, we discuss the protests roiling the nation, police violence against people of color, and cannabis in Illinois. All this plus the Trump Diaries, Size Matters, and AWCYFM, only on the Lumpen Week in Review for June 5, 2020. Mario Smith and Jamie Trecker ran a special program this week, Uprising, America in Crisis. They talked to the people on the streets and learned about protests rocking the nation. You can hear the entire three-hour special Uprising, America in Crisis at lumpenradio.com. In this segment, Xavier Ramey discusses the inner workings of the protests and how collective action can bring real change. I wanted his voice in on this moment. It's Xavier Ramey. Hey, man, how are you, sir? I'm holding it together, man. We are in a very trying time, but um, I'm glad to be able to chop it up with you for a second. Thanks, Mario. No problem. Look, um, I, I, I know how you feel. I know you good enough to know exactly how you feel because we feel probably the same way. Um, we are on night seven or day seven of this uprising and there are the, the narrative is shifting back and forth between why and what's happening. And in Chicago, uh, our mayor has been, depending on who you ask, a little disingenuous with her comments about how the police have been treating the situation. Uh, we've got national guard in all these different things. Give me from your perspective in the brief time that I got you here, how you're feeling about what you're seeing and, and what you're speaking to power in terms of how you you are using your your voice for uh, activism. Yeah. So, you know, the first thing to point out in this is, is uh, we have to have a shared understanding of what oppression is. Uh, oppression is the accumulated experience and effect of, of long term uh, structural injustices and uh, 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 the accumulation of different identity points that are marginalized in society. It's about accumulation of experience. Um, and that's what causes people to, to lash out. That's what causes them to stand up, use their voice, and say no more. Um, it's, that, it's that it won't stop happening, that, that hashtags of black men's bodies, black women's bodies, trans people's bodies, LGBTQ people's bodies are, are constantly coming up in social media. It keeps happening. Uh, there's, it is relentless. Um, secondly, that the destruction of, 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 of black and brown communities, specifically in this moment we're saying black and noting black communities, the destruction of black communities by violent public policy, meaning the laws that we have are a form of violence. Um, and if you think about the word violence through the lens of the World Health Organization's definition, because you need to hear it from the World Health Organization but not black people, um, you know, they, they, they point out that one of the areas of violence that we have to constantly track is deprivation. That when you deprive people of resources, it is a form of violence, in as much as if you deprive them of air because your knee is on their neck. Um, this is, but this is also accumulated. Uh, and, and then finally, that we are talking about the reorganization of society, because what, created George, what led to George Floyd's death was not just one officer. It was the institution and the mechanisms and the ways in which we think about safety and security, and only having police as the sole response. The only way that our society responds to violence is with someone who carries a gun and has the immunity protections that a badge provides. That's what's pissing me off. That's what's frustrating me. If you look at that in the lens of what is happening, however, in my city, in my city that I call home, I've been here my entire life. It'll be 35 years this year. I'm in North Lawndale right now, and it looks like it did 30 years ago when I used to walk around. That is violent. That is violent, and that that, that, that can all happen. 
and the fifth floor of City Hall and Lincoln Park and now the brand new 21st century, almost all white community called the West Loop and other areas like it where we've had the chance to build differently and we chose to build the same. We became what we were called to replace. That violence is what we stand up against. Now, that's gotten lost in the conversation uh, as, as you all were talking about earlier, right? There's agent provocateurs. I've been seeing these white cats out here. Um, I'm pretty sure all the white folks who showed up and went to their diversity trainings that weren't really that uh, good showed up and thought they were allying as they performed activities that put black lives in danger because we can't do that in front of the police and we have to deal with the effects. Um, they were a distraction. They were relentless in insisting on being a part of something that they did not help to organize, that they did not meet and commune to understand, and that they were not equipped to engage in, in a real and demonstrative and helpful way. I hope that from this moment, any of the folks who, this your first time protesting, make sure that you lock in with some folks who have already been doing that. Come together before you come outside. That's the key. That's what was missing. When you, and I, 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 you, you said how old you were, and I shook. I forgot how old I am. When you... Uh, oh, yeah, you old, brother. You got some gray hair. <laughs> when you, um, and I don't know if you were in Hyde Park with Malcolm and Damon and Jen and Christiana and all those I folks. Was, was, um, yeah. But what, what happened in Hyde Park is a perfect example of what you're talking about with the agent provocateurs. That protest was fine until it wasn't. And it was some of that was an agent was an agent provocateur situation. Part of that was the police being tired of watching these people just walk and not. I, I don't know if it's if it's an adrenaline rush thing with the cops that they got to do something. They got to see some action. Um, when when we are engaging in a protest with when you when you have a chance to have this face to face dialogue with the police, and, and and of course the don't talk to the cops thing is always prevalent. But what is it? when you're on that front line that's being said between protester and cop that, that can kind of quell the situation and keep the protest moving peacefully? Well, part of it is knowing why a person even comes to protest. One of the things that I hold in terms of protest, we are showing up not just to call out racist and violent and white supremacist policing, but we are showing up uh, because we are looking to express publicly and together a moment of exuberance and joy in solidarity with one another. Make no mistake about it. Black people congregating is an act of violence in this country. To congregate while black without any level of vouching from the white community or gays is often criminalized, and it is often a result in potential police action or at minimum suspicion, and you get another Karen calling the police on you. And so protesting is doing that without regard to the white gaze, without regard to the police enforcement. Being public and being together. Everybody doesn't come to the protest for that, though. That's why I go to the protest, right? And so the chants that we say, right, when we say we young, we strong, we marching all night long, when we say no justice, no peace, no racist police, when we say those things, it's to counter the narrative of what is currently in society. We do currently have racist police, and we do not have justice, and we do not have peace. We're, we're saying the things of the world we want to live in. Some folks show up to the protest because they want to pop out. And then you can't control that. You can't control that. You can't, I mean, you can't control that. They, they're not locked in. They're not connected to anything. You know, it's fine to show up because it's your first time. That's how you get more people involved. Some people have their epiphany moments about their privilege, and they say, I can't believe so many people showed up. Maybe there is an issue, and we need more of that. If you need to go to a protest for that, awesome. But the reality is you got to check your heart before you get into this type of work because lives are on the line. 
Um, when you're face-to-face with a police officer, the first time I was face-to-face with a police officer at a protest, it was in Ferguson, Missouri on August 19, 2014, 10 days after Mike Brown was killed, when we, when we you know, started the Let Us Breathe Collective, when we started marching. It was, it was, it was the first, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, it was, it was to, to stand up and say our lives matter. Now, I never knew the cost of saying our lives matter. I was, a, I was working in nonprofits. I was talking about give back and volunteer and all it is, right? I, I, I had no training in this. I just had eagerness. I had ambition and no skill. And that's okay, again. But what you learn in doing that, and this is over time, and I, I want everybody to check out Damon's Instagram. Damon, Damon was one of the activists who was arrested and was brutalized by the Chicago police. Uh, he posted pictures of his face, which was beaten up and bruised. The next day, he, he did about a one-hour explanation, line by line, of what happened in Hyde Park 48 hours ago and what happened in the, in the police cells that he and his fiancée were thrown in and that Malcolm London was kept in and the ways in which the police system organized this, this structure of oppression and organized the, essentially the hunting of them during this event. Go to Damon underscore AF to see that. It's so powerful. And get your first-hand accounting of what actually happened. But he's a trained organizer, and he showed up with this heart set that's really important, and Jennifer showed up with it, too, and Malcolm showed up with it, too. But police aren't used to not being obeyed. And the only reason that I find that they don't obey, but they, that they don't lash out with the power that we give them through our tax dollars when they are provoked, when they are yelled at by, by protesters and other types of things, is because they were given a stand-down order, which is what I know that they have received here in Chicago. They're receiving stand-down orders in certain situations and circumstances. Um, but we know that's not how it often happens. And so what we – let me just run, roll this up. What we're asking for is for a level of relationship between people in this city and every city that keeps black people safe. And currently the institution of policing is not set up to do it. We need safety and security. But policing as it exists, not reforming the police, period, point-blank police, they are not set up to do it. You can be the most well-intentioned officer with hopes and goals and dreams of reforming the system, and you go in there and you have to do certain things that are fundamentally against the preservation and the productive capacity of black lives. And, and you, now you have to do it to keep your job. That's what I'm saying. That's what we're protesting against. And that's what some of these folks who hop in don't think about, don't know, and don't read about before they show up that it's so dangerous. For everyone else. Uh, Michaela, go ahead. Hey, Xavier. Um, first, I want to thank you um, for all your efforts. There's some of us that have sort of aged out of the frontline status. So thank you for still being out there. Thank you for helping other people to understand what they're getting into and what they need to do to be um to be ready for this because not everybody's about that life so (laughs) i thank you um for all your efforts in that behalf but i got uh broke up oh Oh, wait try again you hear me now yeah try again i can hear you now okay so my question is i've got friends now like why are they still protesting? What's going to make them stop? What's going to make them stop? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, 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 no. That's, that's, a, that's actually an easy answer. I love it. 
It's an easy answer. The demands have already been put out there. The mayor has a list of demands. The last mayor has a list of demands. The chief of police has a list of demands. They've always had it. There are websites with, with what is needed to remove the need for protest. That is, police, police accountability has to be community not only informed, but led. Right now we have an institution that polices police with police. And we're saying move that, move that to a community control a community-controlled body. CPAC was created. The Civilian Police Accountability Council was created. That draft, that, that, that memorandum, that work, the, the entire organizational model has already been spelled out. When people say, well, what do we do if we do It's already written. <laughs> people don't read. They don't share it. Mario and Jamie also talked to Brendan Schiller, a criminal defense lawyer who was fighting the detentions of several protesters. Schiller talked about the do's and don'ts of interacting with the police, what protesters need to know to stay safe, and where these actions fit in with America's long history of direct action. Also have on the phone uh, attorney Brendan Schiller from the law firm of Schiller Priar. Hey, Brendan, how you doing, man? I'm great, Mario. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you here. I wanted to make sure that we had your voice in this conversation, number one, because you have long been someone that personally I rely on when, when, I'm, when I have a question about the law. And in this moment, this is like right in your wheelhouse in terms of being able to speak to what's going on. Um, I want to pose a question to you. I'm a protester and I get arrested. What do I need to do first? So, um, what you need to do first is not talk to the police. Um, know that uh, in this town, in this state, you actually have certain rights, but the Chicago Police Department has a long history, like its entire history, of pretending like those rights don't exist. You actually have a right to a phone call under the law within a reasonable amount of time at the arrival of your of the police station but the truth what the a portion of the law has actually defined reasonable is within one hour i know no one who's ever gotten in the city of chicago and access to a phone within an hour but you have a right to that um and the purpose of that is to not just contact an attorney but to let your family know where you're located and the law actually says that um but the Chicago Police Department has always acted like that law doesn't exist. And they've always said things like, well, wait you, you wait till you get processed. There is nothing in the law that says you need to wait till you get processed. In fact, it's the exact opposite. You're supposed to have access to that phone prior to being processed. Um, you also have a right to know what the charges are against you. And, and what we have seen the last three days is a concerted effort on the part of CPD to um, keep people locked up for 20 or 36 hours, even though they have no intent in charging them. I think they think this is a de-escalation, 
tactical sometimes. It's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're and they're playing games and not letting family, friends, and attorneys know where people are, and they're definitely not giving people phone access. Um, the 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 Chicago police. I'm going to use the example of someone that I know. Um, Malcolm London was detained in Hyde Park over the weekend and detained at the police station, and they eventually had to let him go. Um, how many? Uh, do we have an idea? of just how many people may have been illegally detained by the Chicago police during this whole ordeal? So let me tell you, I'm, I'm intimately familiar with the Malcolm London situation. So if I could take 30 seconds to, I'll answer your question. I think we're up to about 1,400 in terms of your question. Okay. But if we could take 30 seconds to discuss the game that was played with Malcolm, Damon, and Jim. Sure. I was called by the activists within 10 minutes of that arrest. I happen to have been at 36 in Prairie. I was at 51st and Wentworth at 7.30. It took me from 7.30 to 11.30 with the help of five aldermen, including two aldermen on scene, high up members of the mayoral administration, just to get them to admit that those three people were in custody. I never got in, and they, they really tried to play games with Malcolm. It turns out Malcolm the whole time was at St. Bernard Hospital with a busted hand, and beat up face and beat up arms, and for, they tried to send us off to three different police stations, and it wasn't until we berated the commander in front of two sitting aldermen who came to the station that they admitted Malcolm was at St. Bernard Hospital. Wow. And so Malcolm, and Malcolm, Jen, and Damon, they're known, Malcolm in particular and Damon in particular, they're known, and they may, and they may play some special games with them because they're known, but there's of the 1,400 activists, probably 1,350 of them can't get five, three aldermen to make a call, two aldermen to show up to a police station, and police board members to make calls. That was a really unique situation, and it, it, it exemplifies the problem that's happening. You're having regular people who just want to express their voice, and an angry cop at, who, who's had his full decides to mess with somebody, puts them in a system, and right now the system is disappearing, these folks. I'll tell you something else. 50-person Wentworth doesn't have running water in the cells right now. Hmm. So you got people there for 20, 36 hours. They're not even getting a bologna sandwich. They're not even getting a drink of water. Let it me, is, it is, yeah, go ahead. Let, go me, ahead. let me just give you one more question before I turn this over to uh, Mikhailo. Um, with what we know now, and, I, and this is more of a what-do-you-think kind of question, with what we know now with the city shutting down the expressways and the entrances to downtown Chicago and the the protection of the 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 greater business uh initiative and greater business district that is downtown chicago what happens subsequently in the next few days do you think how if if the temperature was 100 on saturday what do you think the temperature is the next day or two you know i honestly have no idea it's hard to tell uh but i will say this they've actually studied de-escalation techniques and both in terms of specific beta tactics on the ground and in terms of meta overall policy. And if we could do everything wrong in terms of de-escalation as a city, not we, because I'm on the other side, but if the city and the powers that be could do everything wrong in terms of how you de-escalate and how you modify emotions, they've managed to do it, right? Mm -hmm. There's actual studies that say the first thing, if you want to de-escalate, the first thing you don't do is you don't put riot gear on the police. The second thing you don't do is you actually don't need a police presence 
where there are peaceful protests happening. Because the mere presence of police is more likely than not to incite negative reactions that result in then police reactions that result in violence. The, the next thing you don't do is you don't send a message across the city that certain portions of the city are more valuable than others. And by shutting down access to downtown, they sent a message to the looters, the opportunists, and even though they're just angry, well, if you want to mess shit up, go to, go to the neighborhoods. So there's all sorts of things. Now, if you're one of the folks who want this to continue, what the city's actions have done is ensure it will continue for a few more days. What I don't know is um, how we take full advantage of the moment for real change. But I think you best believe the other side is trying to figure out how to take advantage of the moment to retrench their power. And what we need to be talking about is how we take advantage of the moment to force real change. Go, Michaela. Hey, Mario and Brendan. I'm having a little uh, uh, bit of audio trouble, so I can't hear <laughs> what Brendan says. But um, I trust you and Jamie to do my follow-up questions for me. My questions are, um, I, I, or my question is currently, um, there's some people who are thinking taking the law into their own hands makes sense, right? Um, the police can't get here. I'm going to stand outside of my, my jam with a gun or, um, you know, sort of a, a bit of lawlessness is taken over in certain areas. Can um, council tell us what are the ramifications for, for um, taking the law into your own hands, vigilante style? I, I, I don't think it's as easy. I don't think it's as easy as everyone thinks, right? Um, so that's, that's my question. So that, that's, a, that's a very good question. It's a very interesting question, and there's both legal and political responses to that. First, as a matter of politics, I saw on Twitter um, this morning uh, a retweet from Marion Caba about an incident that occurred in Miami where, um, uh, you know, some brown folks stood their ground with guns to protect against looters from some black folks. Um, and... They thought they were doing right, and they even called the police. And then, of course, the police show up, see brown folks with guns, the black folks ran, and then brutal, the police brutalized the brown folks, right? So um, as a political response, anybody out here who ain't white standing with guns, um, as a legal response, uh, and also, but let me also say this, as another political response, I think community aid and community self-help and community collective action is a positive thing. Because I frankly believe, not to sound too much like a conspiratorialist right now, but I frankly believe some of the looting and some of the damage, and in fact, not only do I believe, we've seen evidence online that some of the looting and some of the damage is actually occurring by state agents, state provocateurs, and police. And those operating at the encouragement of state agents, state provocateurs, and police. And, and, and I'm not saying that some of the looting also isn't occurring out of Oz rage, but let's recognize that. So with, when small business owners in the community want to protect their business, if they can engage in collective community action that helps to protect their business, then they should. But I don't think that's just standing in front of their business. I think that requires some 
community engagement. And, and, and I don't want to sound like I'm tooting my own horn, but we at the Westside Justice Center, we've had every business around us looted. And there's not a lot of businesses around us because we're in the heart of the West Side at, at 28th and California. I mean, sorry, Harrison, uh, California. But everything has been looted except for us. Nobody has touched the West Side Justice Center. And I think that's in part because of the relationships we've developed and then the relationships we've continued to make sure we've had over the past month. And so the first step is develop relationships in the community. The legal answer is you have a legal right as a business owner to protect your business. You have a legal right if you are on the property of your business and you have somebody with a license with a license to carry a gun to have the gun present. They better have a license to carry the gun. If you don't have a license to carry a gun and you're on business property and not your personal home or abode, then you are committing a UUW, an uh, unlawful use of weapon. But if you are on your home, if you have a license to carry, you can be present, you can be out in front of your business, you can protect it, and, and you are legally protected. As a practical matter, if you are not informing the community, working with the community, informing the police that that's what you're doing, you may be in trouble. I also heard there's um, civil, like they can still sue you civilly. You could shoot them, and then they can come after and steal, take all your money anyway. So, like, it's, <laughs> it's a bad situation either way you go. So that's a great point. The things that are called qualified immunity that apply to police officers that allow them to get away with murder, literally, do not apply to civilians. So while police officers can have an unreasonable belief and still shoot you as long as they actually believe it, or if as long as the jury believes they actually believe it, a civilian can't have an unreasonable belief. So if you shoot somebody and you aren't act, there is an objective belief that you actually were in fear of bodily, severe bodily harm or death, then you may have a liability issue. You aren't the police. You don't have all of the protections that the law has provided the police. But if you are an honest fear for your life or, or being a, a threat of great bodily harm, you can use your firearm. Size matters, size matters. Smith, Kyle, Seisman, Kowski. Hey there, my producer, are you sick? No, it's allergies. Ah, jeez, you sound like the Trekkers after a three-day marching powder binge. Ugh, I know, it's awful. I know a guy. Well, have you noticed how many episodes start with I knows a guy or this dude over here? Uh, no, what's your point? You've never noticed anything weird? Uh, no. Like, I, I don't have a recorder, and yet these episodes keep appearing. And we seem to keep moving from, ugh, jeez, scenario to scenario. I, I, I mean, do you ever wonder if we're, like, inside a simulation or something? Huh, well, everything seems all right. I mean, uh, we beat the digital ad in that simulation back in that size matter 71, and, and that was, like, 17 episodes ago, if I can do Matt right. I mean, that's what I mean. We keep talking in episodes and making references no one cares about. Listen, Jess, I got what's going to cure your allergies, I swear. Now you got to come see this guy. I'm just, this is just going to be a mess of sound effects and then a jump cut. Do you see what I mean? I mean, how did we even get here? We walked the entire way from the co-pro. 
Uh, you got a burrito at Martinez, and I didn't even get a bite. So I don't oh, even... yeah, I still have that half in my pocket. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hand-warming burrito. Anyway, this is Pooper's place. Uh, Everyone in Undertown swears by him. His name is what? I don't know, like Steve or something, but uh, we all could call him Poopers. I'll, you'll see why. I'm not super sure about this, Kyle. Oh, whoa, 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 what is that smell? That is the medicines. Hey, Poops, what's going oh, on? God, it smells like Sasquatch's socks died in That's here. the natural medicines. My producer here's got some allergies. Maybe you could, uh... The allergies of Bridgeport. Yes, the dab and the trees and the bowl. Ugh, seriously, what is that smell? It is a secret substance blended right here of all natural excretions. Just, I'm telling you, I had cancer and poopers, he cleared it right up. I cannot believe that. Let me just smear a little of this here and here under your nostrils. Just breathe deep. Oh, it smells awful. That's the medication. Oh, I think I'm going to puke. Oh, my God. Oh. Oh. Hey. Wait a minute. I stopped sneezing. You just put a little of this on your lip every morning for a few minutes and no more allergies. What's in it? It's a proprietary blend. I can't believe more people don't use these natural methods. I hate that this is working. I just wish we could spread the message to more people. Well, maybe we can. Do you think this is really a good idea? Well, Pooper says this is the way he gets the immunity herbs. Uh, by smearing whatever this gross gunk is under people's doors? It's genius. Everyone touches it, they get the immunity. I, I'm just not sure. You're so pedestrian. We're going to be hailed as heroes. I, I'm just not sure. Listen, you take a couple bags of this, and I'll take a couple bags of this, and we'll start hitting these door handles. What is this really dog sh- not entirely. Oh my god, I'm gonna be sick. No, you're not. Your allergies are solved. This week on the Trump Diaries, protests and violence rip America. Trump hides in a bunker and then rails at governors. Trump calls for military action against the protests. The army bucks Trump's attempts to impose martial law. Police attack peaceful protesters as Trump walks for a photo op, and an increasingly unhinged Trump drags America to the brink. These are the Trump Diaries. Day 1226, May 29th. A Minneapolis police precinct station was overrun and set on fire by protesters as rioting raged in that city and began to spread across the country overnight following the death in police custody of a black man, George Floyd. The mayor of Minneapolis asked the state's governor to activate the National Guard. Protests turned violent in Columbus and Denver. Peaceful protests were also held in several other cities. Trump responded by calling the protesters thugs and said they could be shot. Trump, who had previously called the video of Floyd's death shocking, said the protesters were thugs and warned that the military is with Governor Tim Waltz all the way. Any difficulty and we will assume control, but when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Thank you. When Twitter put that post behind a warning, the White House reposted Trump's comment on its official account. Trump's words, which were a quote used by segregationist George Wallace and a racist Miami police chief, Walter Headley, enraged Americans. Trump later tried to walk it back, claiming he didn't know the origin of the words. When a reporter told Trump it was said by Headley, Trump said he has, quote, also heard it from many other places. 
Trump was taken into an underground bunker for nearly an hour as protests raged outside the White House. Trump was abruptly taken by Secret Service agents inside the Presidential Emergency Operations Center. Trump and his family were reportedly shaken by the experience and the size of the protests. In response to Twitter's actions and adding a warning label, an irate Trump signed an executive order to limit the legal protections that shield social media companies from liability, claiming, quote, big tech is doing everything in their very considerable power to censor in advance of the 2020 election. Trump tweeted, this will be a big day for social media and fairness. In fact, Trump's actions make it more likely that social media companies would remove controversial tweets as they could be sued for them. Legal Observer says the order does not change existing federal law and will not have much bearing on federal courts. And despite the threats, Twitter added hundreds of new fact-checking labels, including several on Trump's attempts to demonize mail voting. Trump responded, so ridiculous to see Twitter trying to make the case that mail-in ballots are not subject to fraud. How stupid there are examples and cases all over the place. Our election process will become badly tainted and the laughingstock all over the world. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey said in a statement, he would not back down. CNN reporter Omar Jimenez, who is black, was reporting on the protests. Live footage shows Jimenez talking with police and offering to, quote, move back to where you like. He was ignored. Lindsey Graham urged senior federal judges to step aside so that Republicans could fill vacancies now. In a letter to judges, Graham called it an historic opportunity. Quote, if you can get four more years, I mean, it would change the judiciary for several generations. So if you're a circuit judge in your mid-60s, late-60s, you can take senior status. Now would be a good time to do that. Trump will not release an updated economic projection this summer. A mid-session review is traditionally released to give updated projections on economic trends such as unemployment and growth. It will be the first time an administration has failed to provide forecasts in its mid-session review since at least the 1970s. Day 1227, May 30th. America convulsed in massive protests against police violence, with 75 cities seeing demonstrations and disturbances. In major cities, some outside agitators, identified as criminal gangs and white supremacists, looted neighborhoods and set fire to buildings en masse. In Chicago, the entire downtown area was cordoned off after the Mag Mile was ransacked. The National Guard was called in, and the entire area was locked down. Police responded to the protests in some cases by deliberately targeting demonstrators, journalists, and bystanders with pepper spray, tear gas, and rubber bullets. Curfews were enacted in more than two dozen cities. About 5,000 National Guard troops have been activated in 15 states and D.C. Confronted by huge, chanting demonstrators at the White House, the building turned off its lights, something normally only done if a president dies. Meanwhile, Trump reacted to the protests by threatening the demonstrators. Trump said if the protesters breached the White House fence, they would have, quote, been greeted with the most vicious dogs and the most ominous weapons I have ever seen. That's when people would have been really badly hurt, at least. Many Secret Service agents just waiting for action. We put the young ones on the front line, sir. They love it. Good practice. Trump then accused the demonstrators of being professionally managed so-called protesters and said his supporters should confront them, tweeting, tonight, I understand, is MAGA night at the White House? When asked why Trump had made such overt racist claims, Trump replied, no, no, not at all. MAGA is make America great again. These are people that love our country. I have no idea if they're going to be here. I was just asking. By the way, they love African-American people. They love black people. MAGA loves the black people. Trump said he is terminating U.S. membership at the World Health Organization, saying it is, quote, a puppet organization of China. Beijing has total control despite only paying $40 million a year compared to what the United States has been paying, which is $450 million a year. 
Trump also is going to eliminate Hong Kong's favored trade status with the United States as punishment for China imposing new national security powers on the territory. Quote, they've ripped off the United States like no one has ever done before. Trump went on to claim that Beijing had raided our factories and gutted American industry. The move could have far-reaching consequences as Hong Kong is a global financial and manufacturing hub. Day 1,228, May 31st. Trump was locked down by White House staff on Sunday in part to prevent him from pouring more kerosene on a rapidly swelling fire as the protests and violence in some American cities spread. 140 American cities saw unrest, many imposed curfews, and put the National Guard into the street. In Chicago, neighborhoods in the south and west side saw looting and violence. In the suburb of Cicero, one official said a race war was taking place. Fires burned across the city of Chicago as property damage reached into the hundreds of millions of dollars. Attorney General William Barr claimed that Antifa was responsible for the unrest. In fact, local politicians say white supremacist and far-right groups have been hijacking the peaceful demonstrations and fomenting violence. Trump followed that by claiming the USA would designate Antifa as a terrorist organization. Antifa, which is not a formal organization, cannot be designated as one. America also does not have a domestic terrorism law. Antifa is also directly opposed to Trump. It appears he is attempting to designate his political opponents as enemies of the state. Trump's advisors at first urged him on Sunday night to give a nationally televised address, but then they decided this wasn't a good idea because he didn't have anything new to say or to offer. Trump did, however, issue a few deranged tweets, law and order in all caps, and strength. He then blamed the lamestream media for the protests, calling journalists, quote, truly bad people with a sick agenda. He accused journalists of fomenting hatred and anarchy. There have been at least 100 incidents of attacks on the press by police during these protests. Public health officials warn the ongoing protests against police brutality could also lead to a new wave of coronavirus infections. The National Security Agency warned that a Russian hacking operation is engaged in an ongoing campaign. That campaign is directly tied to the GRU, which is Russia's CIA. They are targeting a vulnerability in unpatched Unix-based operating systems. And the EPA said it will not object to the proposed pebble mine in Alaska. That mine is the subject of concerns it could damage the world's largest sockeye salmon fishery. Also, a senior Trump administration official pulled strings to get his son-in-law a job at the EPA. Interior Secretary Douglas Domenech reached out to a senior EPA official in person and by email to advocate for the son-in-law. He is now under investigation. Day 1229, June 1st. The fallout from the weekend's violence continued with the protests showing no signs of abating. California ordered all state buildings in downtown city areas to be closed. Governor Gavin Newsom also declared a state of emergency. In New York, demonstrators marched across the Brooklyn and Williamsburg bridges. Sporadic looting was reported across lower Manhattan. Philadelphia was a cauldron. Chicago was on lockdown. Trump emerged from the White House bunker and stunned America's governors with a rant during a phone conference in which he called them weak and jerks and demanded that they dominate the protesters, which he labeled terrorists. Demanding retribution, Trump asked, quote, why aren't you prosecuting them? Send the protesters to jail for long periods of time, 10 years. You have to use the military. We have a wonderful military. Trump claimed they would look like fools if they didn't take control of the situation. And Trump then accused Minnesota of becoming a laughing stock all over the world. Trump finished up by calling the people in the streets scum. 
Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker reportedly pushed back on the call, expressing extraordinary concern about Trump's rhetoric and pleading for the White House to call for calm. Trump dismissed Pritzker out of hand and told him he didn't like his rhetoric either. Meanwhile, Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden called for calm, stepping into a void at the top and preparing to give a major address in Philadelphia. In contrast, Fox News saw Tucker Carlson stoke racial division by claiming, quote, no one is standing up for civilization. Trump postponed next month's G7 summit at the White House after German Chancellor Angela Merkel declined his invitation to attend. Trump then complained the group is very outdated and doesn't, quote, properly represent what's going on in the world and said he again wants to invite Russia. Russia were ejected as a rogue nation from the G8. Facebook head Mark Zuckerberg tried to defend his decision not to do anything about Trump's Facebook post, claiming he had made a tough decision, but it was pretty thorough. The right action where we are right now is to leave this up. In response, Facebook employees openly rebelled, noting that Trump was a heavy spender on the social network and questioning why Zuckerberg and the network was abetting him. Day 1,230, June 2nd. The nationwide protests over the death of George Floyd in police custody show no signs of abating. Large actions gathered in Chicago and around the nation. Tensions were high in New York and California. Heavy military vehicles were positioned in D.C. as it seized over the federal government's dismissive response. Troops were placed on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Trump then gave a pugnacious national address in which he attempted to blame left-wing protesters. Trump said he would deploy the military in states that did not deploy the National Guard and call for an immediate curfew in the Capitol. Trump said he would mobilize, quote, all available federal resources, civilian and military, to stop the rioting and looting to protect your Second Amendment rights, a tacit dog whistle calling for violence. Demonstrators booed Trump during his speech. Police then used tear gas and flash grenades to clear out a peaceful crowd so Trump could visit the nearby St. John's Church and pose for photographs with a Bible. Trump held the Bible upside down. Trump's slow walk to the church was cheered by evangelicals who took it as a coded Jericho walk. The Bishop of St. John's was aghast at the photo op and said her and other evangelicals expressed outrage that a peaceful crowd had been cleared near a church. The Right Reverend Marion Bood said she had not even been given a courtesy call that would be clearing the area with tear gas so they could use one of our churches as a prop. Trump reportedly wanted to dispel the notion that he was weak after hiding in a bunker over the weekend. Immediately prior to Trump's address, Trump spoke with Vladimir Putin for 45 minutes. It is not known what the two men talked about. In a major speech, Joe Biden ripped Trump's presidency, likening to Southern racists of the 1960s. Biden, appearing in Philadelphia, has been attempting to fill the leadership gap left at the top. He has now appeared in public for the past three days after spending months in quarantine. Florida Rep Matt Goetz called for members of the radical activist group Antifa to be hunted down quote, like terrorists, like we did in the Middle East. Twitter added a warning label to that. An independent autopsy confirmed that George Floyd, the man killed in police custody, died due to asphyxiation. The official medical examiner's report said that Floyd did not die at the scene and instead at the hospital. That also claimed pre-existing conditions were a factor. Day 1231, June 3rd. Trump deployed all federal law enforcement from border agencies and the DEA to the FBI hostage rescue teams to crush protests in Washington, D.C. Trump's extraordinary deployments have also reached the streets of San Diego, Buffalo, and Vegas. The move has turned D.C. into a war zone. Senior Trump administration officials in the Defense Department have also directed service chiefs to keep quiet about the killing of George Floyd. 
as Washington reeled from the fallout from Trump's ham-fisted photo op. Some of the participants tried to back out. Defense Secretary Mark Esper claimed he had no idea what Trump was planning to do when he led officials from the White House to St. John's. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Army General Mark Milley, who showed up in combat fatigues, claimed it was his understanding they were going into Lafayette Park to review the efforts of the troops. Attorney General William Barr personally ordered the use of tear gas and grenades on the peaceful protests. And Trump's re-election campaign demanded that news organizations issue a retraction that the U.S. Park Police had used tear gas to disperse the demonstrations. The Park Police released a statement saying they used pepper balls and smoke canisters, but claimed that no tear gas was used. This is a lie. The FBI found no intelligence indicating Antifa involvement or presence in the violence in D.C. during the Floyd protests. Substantial evidence, however, has been unearthed that white supremacist organizations allied with Trump have been using the protests as cover in an attempt to start what they call the Boogaloo or the Big Luau. This is a race-based civil war. Eight states voted yesterday, and in Iowa, voters ousted nine-time rep Steve King, a white nationalist. King, who had been stripped of his committee seats, lost to a state rep. Former Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein defended his decision to appoint Special Counsel Robert Mueller. However, he blamed high-level FBI leadership for the, quote, significant errors that appeared in applications to surveil former Trump campaign advisor Carter Page, even though he signed off on one of them. Trump demanded that New York call up the National Guard to, quote, stop the lowlifes and losers. Governor Andrew Cuomo refuses to accept my offer of a dominating National Guard. Act fast. Don't make the same horrible and deadly mistake you made with nursing homes. Trump then claimed that CNN anchor Chris Cuomo's ratings were down. Day 1232, June 4th. Defense Secretary Mark Esper broke with the White House and said he is opposed to the deployment of active duty troops in American streets. I don't think they need to be used. We're not in one of those situations right now. I do not support invoking the Insurrection Act. Trump was reportedly incensed by the comments and ripped into Esper, who did not back down. White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany subsequently said, as of right now, Secretary Esper is still Secretary Esper. And should the president lose faith, we will all learn about that in the future. Former Defense Secretary Jim Mattis also ripped into Trump, calling him a threat to the Constitution. Saying Trump does not even pretend to try to unite Americans, Mattis compared him unfavorably with Nazis, calling Trump a threat to our way of life. Trump responded by tweeting, quote, probably the only thing Barack Obama and I have in common is that we both had the honor of firing Jim Mattis, the world's most overrated general. I asked for his letter of resignation and felt great about it. In fact, Jim Mattis quit. Another two million Americans filed for unemployment this week. One in four Americans remain out of work. Worldwide, new virus infections are topping 100,000 a day. Virus cases have risen in the U.S. with California, Texas, Wisconsin, and 12 other states seeing an upward trend of new cases. California is seeing 3,000 new positives every day. The USA, Egypt, and Brazil remain the hottest of the hot spots. President Barack Obama called on every mayor in the U.S. to review use of force policies. Obama asked cities to pursue an eight-point slate of police reforms that include mandatory de-escalation, a ban on shooting and moving vehicles, and prohibitions on some forms of restraint. The president also supported the protesters, noting the nation was founded on protest. The Senate Intelligence Committee approved a measure that will require campaigns to report any offers of foreign election interference. The measure was added to the Intelligence Authorization Act. Susan Collins was the only Republican to vote for the measure. 
Trump and the Republican National Committee said they're moving their August convention in Charlotte, North Carolina, somewhere else. Trump accused Governor Roy Cooper of forcing the RNC to seek another state and being in shutdown mode. Cooper would not sign off on a plan to have packed houses and no social distancing. And Trump claimed he went to the White House's bunker for an inspection, not his own safety, because the Secret Service, quote, said it would be a good time to go down and take a look because maybe sometime you're going to need it. I was there for a tiny, short little period of time. Trump said he's previously visited the bunker two and a half times. In fact, Trump was in the bunker for at least an hour with his entire family and some members of his staff. He was reportedly deeply shaken by the protests and frightened. 71% of Americans believe the United States is on the wrong track. 81% of Americans say discrimination against African Americans exists today. 64% of Americans say they are sympathetic to people who are out protesting right now. 55% of Americans say they strongly disapprove of Trump's handling of the protests. Trump's approval rating is now 39%. He is losing by double digits to Joe Biden in battleground states. These are the Trump Diaries. Studio A has been closed due to the pandemic. Please enjoy this brand new track courtesy of Black Moon Book. This is You Are Just Not Alone. Special thanks to August Forte. Some strong tea and alcohol You are just not alone You are just not alone Sit still and try not to vanish Some sentry hiding all the secrets so happy not to know the rhyme You are just not alone You are just not alone In the middle of a whole lot of safety There's a symbol of a whole lot Maybe it's things you tried and ones we didn't Loves you lost and some
Right now, there are about five, um, uh, about five uh, wandering aldermen who are uh, from previous years who are still alive, not including Deacon Delphi, who is still the current wandering alderman. So six in total, um, and all of them uh, have effectively uh, began living in the uh, in the East Indiana Dunes following their election process. This is a a life-changing process to go through, uh, no less because of the experience that a wandering alderman will have in the hidden neighborhoods of Chicago. The hidden neighborhoods of Chicago are really the end-all, be-all of this whole campaign. Um, anytime any resident of known Chicago uh, spends in hidden Chicago is, uh, I mean, almost from a from a surprising, uh, a, a very horrible, uh, horrible metric, uh, it takes uh, off roughly every every minute that somebody spends in in the hidden neighborhood uh it can be linked to taking off a day from somebody's life in, in the grand scheme i mean data is sort of confusing especially when it comes to uh the hidden neighborhoods but uh it does seem that a surprising number of people that have gone to the hidden neighborhoods and specifically um a surprising number of wandering aldermen live fast and loose lives that are riddled with a great despair following their following their run um and it's very i mean it's just very at least relieving to see the that everybody that has been elected to wandering alderman has at least been able to uh ha- has been able to carry that burden following their following their term uh with great poise and i mean class uh so to speak the Lumpen Week in Review is produced by the staff and volunteers of WLPN LP Chicago, the community radio of the future. The Week in Review is overseen by Jamie Trecker, voiceovers by Shanna Van Volt, additional production by Cole Eisenberg, Julie Wu, Sergio Rodriguez, Neil Gaynor, Lane Gerbig, Alexander Jerry, John Piotrowski, Ari Shellist, and Annie Klein. Live music production by Ari Shellist. The Lumpen theme, background, and interstitial music is by Mike Perkins. The Lumpen Radio Sting is by Dan Jugal. For more information on Lumpen Radio, visit lumpenradio.com. Yeah.